Chapter Six of the Tiger of Mysore by G. A. Henty. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mike Harris. The Tiger of Mysore by G. A. Henty. Chapter Six: A Perilous Adventure. They retraced their steps without adventure until they reached the village they had first stopped at. There are soldiers here, Surajah exclaimed as they entered. We can't help it now, Dick said. There's nothing for it but to go on boldly. I suppose the Tipu has sent troops into all these frontier villages to prevent any chance of news of his movements being taken to the plains. Ah, there's the old chap who spoke to us last time. Let's stop at once and talk with him. So you are back again, the peasant said as they came up to him. Yes, Surajah replied. We told you we should come back here, unless we got news of some tiger being marked down near one of the other villages. We have been as far as the edge of the jungle, and although we have heard of several, not one of them seems to be in the habit of coming back regularly to the same spot. So we thought we could not do better than return here at once and make it our headquarters. I see you have got some soldiers here. Yes, the old man said discontentedly, and a rough lot they are. They demand food, and instead of paying for it in money, their officer gives us bits of paper with some writing on them. He says that when they go we are to take them to him, and he will give us an equal to the whole of them, for which we can receive money from the treasury at Seringapatam. A nice thing, that. None of us have ever been to Seringapatam, and should not know what to do when we got there. Moreover, there would be no saying whether one would ever come back again. It is terrible. Besides, we have only grain enough for ourselves, and shall have to send down to the plains to buy more. And where the money is to come from, nobody can tell. I think I could tell you how you had better proceed, if you will take us into your house, Surajah said. This is not a place for talking. There are four or five soldiers there watching us. The old man entered the house and closed the door behind them. "'How would you counsel us to proceed?' he asked, as soon as they had seated themselves on a divan, formed of a low bank of beaten earth, with a thick covering of straw. "'It is simple enough,' Surajah said. "'One of you would take the order, on the Sultan's treasury, to a large village down in the plain. You would go to a trader, and say that you wished to purchase so much grain and other goods, and would pay for them with an order on the Sultan's treasury. It would probably be accepted as readily as cash.' for the trader would send it to a merchant or banker at Seringapatam to get it cashed for him, to pay for goods he had obtained there, and either to send him any balance there might be, or to retain it for further purchases. An order of that kind is better than money for trading purposes, for there would be no fear of its being stolen on the way, as it could be hidden in the hair or shoe or anywhere among the clothes of the messenger. Wonderful, the old peasant said. Your words are a relief indeed to me, and will be to all the village when they hear them. And now, Dick broke in, let us talk about tigers. While you have been speaking, those soldiers have passed the door twice and have been looking suspiciously at the house. If they take it into their heads to come here, and to ask who we are and what is our business, it would not do to tell them that we have been discussing the value of the orders on the Sultan's treasury. Now, if our advice has been of any assistance to you in this matter, you, in turn, can render us aid in our business of killing tigers. We want you to find out for us when a tiger was last seen near the village, where its lair is supposed to be, and whether, according to its situation, we should have the best chance of killing it by digging a pitfall, on the path by which it usually comes from the jungle, or by getting a kid and tying it up to attract the tiger to a spot where we shall be stationed in a tree. I will assuredly do that, and every one here will be glad to assist when I tell them the advice I have received from you, and would indeed do so in any case, for it will be a blessing to the village if you can kill the tiger that so often carries off some of our sheep and goats. At this moment there was a loud knocking on the door, on the peasant opening it, a group of soldiers demanded to see the men who had entered. 
"'We are here,' Surajah said, coming forward. "'What do you want?' "'We want to know who you are and where you come from.' Uh, "'Anyone in the village could have told you that,' Surajah said. "'We are shikaris and have come here to destroy tigers. "'We are arranging with this old man to find us guides "'who can point out the tracks of the one which has, "'for some time, been preying on their animals.' "'Yes, and on our children,' the old man put in. "'For three of them were carried off from the street here within the last month.' The soldiers looked doubtful, but one of them said, "'This is for our officer to inquire about. The men are strangers to the village, and he will want to question them.' "'We are quite ready to be questioned,' Surajah said. "'Our host here will bear me out in what I say, and there are others in the village who will tell you that we have been arranging with them to kill tigers in this neighbourhood, though as yet we have not settled what they will pay us for each beast we destroy.' Accompanied by the peasant, they went with the soldiers to the guard-house, with which each of the frontier villages was provided. It consisted of a group of huts surrounded by a thick wall of sunburnt bricks. They were taken into the largest hut, where the officer of the party was seated on a rough divan. "'Who have you here?' he asked irritably, for he had been awakened from a doze by their entry. "'They are two young fellows who are strangers here. They say they are shikaris, who have come into the village to gain a reward for killing a tiger that has been troublesome.' "'They were here three days ago, Sahib,' the villager said, "'and asked us many questions about the tigers, "'and were, when the soldiers came to the door, "'questioning me as to the tiger's place of retreat, "'and whether a pitfall or a kid as a decoy would be most suitable. "'Where do you come from?' the officer asked Surajah. "'We live in a little village some distance down the ghats. "'We heard that tigers were more abundant in the village country up here "'than they are below, and thought that we would, for a time, "'follow our calling here. "'We can get good prices for the skins down below.' and with that and what we get from the villages for freeing them from the tigers we hope that in a few months to take back a good store of money your story is a doubtful one the officer said harshly you may be what you say and you may be spies if we had been spies surajah said we should not be here but at bangalore or saringapatam these villages are not the places where news is to be gained this was so self-evident that the officer had nothing to say against it at any rate, he said after a pause, there is no confirmation to your story, and as I have orders to put all suspicious persons under arrest, I shall detain you. It is very hard, Surajah began, but the officer made an impatient gesture, and while two of the soldiers put their hands on the shoulders of the prisoners and led them from the hut. You need not look so downcast, one of the guards said good-naturedly. I don't suppose you'll be kept here long, and will no doubt be released when the Sultan has gone down the passes with his army. A week or two here will do you no harm. The tigers can wait for a bit. There, there, give us your weapons. I dare say you will get them back again when we go on, as I hope we shall do, for there is nothing to eat and nothing to do in this miserable place. The arms were taken into the officer's hut, and as there was a sentry at the gate, no further attention was paid to them. I will get you some provisions and bring them in, the old man said. It is hard indeed that men cannot go about their business without being interfered with. Thank you, but we have enough for two or three days. When that is gone, we will give you some money to buy more, for we have a few rupees with us, as we knew it might be some time before we should be able to kill a tiger. As soon as the old man had left them, they seated themselves on a large faggot of wood that had been brought in by the villagers for fuel. We cannot stay here, Surajah. It is most important that we should get back with the news, and I have no doubt that pig-headed brute in there will do as he says, and will hold us prisoners until Tupu has gone down the passes. We must get off to-night, if possible." We are not likely to be looked after very sharply. I don't think that fellow really suspects us, but is simply keeping us to show his authority. There ought to be no difficulty in getting out. I suppose we shall be put into one of the soldiers' huts to-night, and if we crawl out when they're asleep we have only to make our way up those narrow steps to the top of the wall, and then let ourselves down the other side. 
It's not above fifteen feet high, and even if we dropped we should not be likely to hurt ourselves. There will most likely be a sentry at the gate, Surajah observed, and there is a moon to-night. There ought to be no difficulty in pouncing on him suddenly, gagging him before he can give the alarm, and then tying him up. We'll walk around and see if there is any rope lying about. If not, I'll tear my sash into strips. We can use yours to lower ourselves over the wall. I should like to get our weapons if we could. The guns do not matter, but the pistols are good ones. And if there is an alarm given, we may have to fight. Besides, it's not impossible that we may come across a tiger as we go along. I vote that when we have secured the sentry, we pay the officer a visit. Surajah nodded. He was quite ready to agree to anything that Dick might suggest, and felt a strong desire to repossess himself of his arms, for it seemed to him that it would be a humiliation to go back without them. Of course, Dick went on, if the sentry gives the alarm before we can secure him, we must give up part of our plan, for in that case we should have to bolt. Once over the wall we should be all right. They may fire away at us as we run, but there is no fear of their hitting us, half asleep as they will be, and not quite sure what it's all about. If we get a fair start of them, we need not have much fear of their catching us. Not as long as it's straight running, Sahib, but if they follow us far, they may come up within range of us, as we are making our way down some of those nasty places where we came up the face of the ghat. If we once get well away from them, we'll hide up somewhere, and then strike off on another line. Yeah, we might do that, Surajah agreed, but, you know, the place where we came up was the only one that seemed to us climbable, and it would be certainly better to make for it again if we can find our way. Oh, I quite agree with you there, Surajah. It would never do to go and find ourselves on the edge of a precipice that we could not get down, with the soldiers anywhere near us. Besides, it's of the greatest importance that we should take this news back as soon as possible, as every hour may be of importance. I only wish we could find out which pass Tipu means to go by, but I don't suppose that will be known until he starts for it. Anyway, our news will be very valuable, for at present he is supposed to be over on the other side, and he would have taken our troops entirely by surprise if he had suddenly poured out into the plain. So we must give up my idea of hiding up, for if we did so, we should have to lie there all day, and it would mean the loss of twenty-four hours, for I would not go down those ghats for any money except in daylight. It's a very different thing going downhill to going up, and if we were to attempt it in the dark we should break our necks for a certainty. If we can get away early to-night, we shall be at the edge of that steep place by nine o'clock in the morning, and if we strike the right point, we might be back to the Rajah by nightfall. It will be difficult to find our way back in the dark, Surajah said. No doubt, still, we can keep in the general direction, and even if we do not hit upon the stream to-night, we shall find it in the morning. It was late in the afternoon when they reached the village, and it was now growing dark. Two soldiers came up to them and bade them follow them into one of the huts, and there pointed to the farther corner as their place. They wrapped themselves in their blankets and at once lay down. "'If they take it into their heads,' Dick whispered to Surajah, "'to put a sentry on guard at the door, it will upset all our plans. It would not be very difficult to cut our way through the mud-wall behind us, but in the first place they have taken away our knives, and, even if we had them, it would be risky work trying it. The chances are that they will probably sit and talk all night. Of course we might surprise the sentry, but it would be a great risk with those fellows close at hand, and we should have to run straight for the steps and might get a dozen balls after us before we were over the wall.' Oh, I don't think there'd be much chance of their hitting us, Surajah said. Jumping up from their sleep in confusion, they'd be a minute or so before they could find out what had happened, and we should be at the foot of the walls before they saw us. And then they would fire almost at random. But in that case we should lose our weapons, he added regretfully. We cannot help that. The arms are no consequence at all, compared to our getting away, unless, of course, any of them happen to overtake us. For three or four hours the soldiers, of whom there were ten in the hut, sat eating, talking, and smoking round the fire, which they kept burning on the earthen floor. 
One by one, however, they left it and lay down. When but three remained, one of them got up with a grumble of discontent, took his musket, which was leaning against the wall, and went out of the hut. "'What a nuisance!' Dick whispered. "'He is evidently going on sentry duty. Perhaps he has gone to the gate?' "'I'm afraid not. I expect the other hut is furnishing the sentry there. Listen.' During the pauses of the low conversation of the two men still sitting by the fire, they could hear a footfall outside. "'That settles the question,' Dick said. "'Now the sooner those fellows go to sleep, the better.' "'We had better wait for some time after they do,' Surajah replied. "'One or two of the men who lay down first are sure to get up and go to the door and look out. They always do that once or twice during the night. The sentry will soon get accustomed to the door being opened and won't look around sharp.' "'That's a good idea,' Dick agreed. "'The moon is at the back of the hut, so we shall be in the shadow. I'll spring upon him, and we'll try and grip him by the throat, so that he can't hold out. You wrench the musket from his hands, and snatch his belt of cartridges. That will give us a weapon, anyhow. As soon as you have got it, I will give him one sharp squeeze and throw him down. It'll be some time before he gets his breath enough to hold.' In half an hour the two men by the fire lay down. It was not long before, as Surajah predicted, one of the sleepers sat up and stretched himself, then he rose and walked to the door, opened it, and stood at the entrance. A moment later he was joined by another figure, and, for a few minutes, they stood talking together. Then he came in again, shut the door, and lay down. During the next hour three of the others followed his example, the last of them leaving the door ajar behind him when he came in. "'Now is our chance, Surajah. We must give him ten minutes to fall asleep again. Then we will move. Should one of them be lying awake and notice us, which is not likely, for it's too dark in here to see figures distinctly, and ask where we are going, say, to the door to get cool. They won't imagine that we are thinking of escape with one sentry at the door and, and another at the gate. Don't you think, Sahib, that it would be safer to kill the sentries? Safer or not, Surajah, we will not do it. At present they have done us no harm. They are only acting as their officer ordered, and we have no grudge against them. When they take to shooting at us, we must shoot at them, but to kill this sentry would be nothing short of murder. After waiting a few minutes longer, Dick said, we had better be off now. If we were to wait longer, we should have another fellow getting up. They rose quietly to their feet, made their way to the door, and opened it noiselessly. The sentry was standing, leaning on his long matchlock a few feet away. Suddenly a voice behind exclaimed, "'Who is that?' The sentry was in the act of turning around when Dick sprang upon him and grasped him by the throat. No cry came from the man's lips, but the gun fell from his grasp as he clutched convulsively at Dick's wrists, and went off as it fell. "'Pick it up!' Dick shouted, "'and run!' He released his grip from the man's throat snatched the bandolier from his shoulder, and, tripping his feet from under him, threw him heavily to the ground, and then turned to run. The hold had occupied but a few seconds, but as he started, a soldier ran out from the hut, shouting loudly. He had a gun in his hand. Dick changed his mind, turned, threw himself upon him, wrenched the gun from his hold, and, as the man staggered back, struck him with his right hand under the chin. The man fell back through the open door, as if shot. Dick seized the handle and closed it, and then ran at full speed toward the foot of the steps. They were but some twenty yards away. "'Up you go, Surajah. We have not a moment to lose.' Dick sprang up the steps, Surajah following. As they reached the top of the wall, a shot was discharged at them by the sentry at the gate, who, ignorant of the cause of the sudden uproar, had been standing in readiness to fire. He was, however, too excited to take aim, and the bullet flew harmlessly over their heads. In another instant they sprang over the parapet. "'Lower yourselves by your arms, and then drop.' The wall, like many others of its sort, was thicker at the base than on the top, and the foot projected two feet beyond the upper line, so that it was a sharp slide rather than an absolute fall. It was well that it was so, for although only some twelve feet inside, it was eight feet higher on its outer side, as a dry ditch encircled it. Both came down in a heap on the sand that had crumbled from the face of the wall. 
As soon as they picked themselves up, Dick exclaimed, Keep along the foot of the wall, Surajah, and they dashed along until they reached the angle. As they turned the corner, they heard a burst of voices from the wall where they had slid down, and several shots were fired. Dick led the way along the ditch to the next angle, then left it and entered the village, and dashed along the street. The sound of firing had roused many of the peasants. Doors were opened, and men coming out. Exclamations of surprise were heard as the two figures rushed past, but no one thought of interfering with them. As they left the houses behind them, Surajah said, "'You are going the wrong way, Sahib. You are going right away from the ghats.' Oh, "'I know that well enough,' Dick panted. "'But I did it on purpose. We'll turn and work round again. They'll hear from the villagers that we have come this way, and will be following us down the road while we're making our way back to the ghats.' They ran for another hundred yards, then quitted the path, and made across the fields. From the fort and the village they could hear a great hubbub, and above it could make out the voice of the officer, shouting orders. They continued to run for another quarter of a mile, and then they turned. "'Now we can go quietly,' Dick said, breaking into a walk. "'This line will take us clear of the fort and the village, and we have only to make straight for the ghats. I think we have thrown them well off the scent, and unless the officer suspects that we have only gone the other way to deceive him, and that we are really making for the ghats, we shall hear nothing more of them.' "'It is capital,' Surajah said. "'I could not think what you were doing when you turned round the corner of the fort and made for the village, instead of going the other way. But where did you get that gun from?' Dick told him how it had come into his possession. "'It's not so much that I cared for the gun,' he said, "'as that I wanted to prevent the man from using it. If he had followed me closely he could hardly have helped hitting me, or one of us, at least, as we went up the steps. By shutting the door we gained a few moments, for they were all in confusion in the dim light inside and would certainly not learn anything, either from the man I pitched in among them, or from the sentry outside. I don't suppose any of them had an idea of what had happened, until the sentry shouted to them that we had got over the wall. Then they rushed up and fired at random from the top, thinking that we should be running straight from it. They walked along for a short distance, and then Dick said, I've got my wind again now. We'll go on to a jog-trot. I mistrust that officer. He had a crafty face and as we said we belong to a village down the ghats, he may have a suspicion that we have been trying to throw him off the scent, and think we should be sure to double back and make for home. They kept on their way, sometimes dropping into a walk, but generally going at an easy trot until daybreak. As soon as it gets a little later, Surajah, we will go up onto one of those rises, so as to have a good look down over the line we have come. If they are following us, we must go on at the top of our speed. If we see nothing of them, we can take it quietly. Of course, they can't have been following our steps, but it's quite likely that some of the villagers may know that the ghats can be climbed at the point where we came up. You know we noticed signs of a path two or three times on the way up. In that case, if the officer really did think of pursuing us, he would take one of the villagers as a guide. Half an hour later they ascended a sharp rise and threw themselves down on its crest. I don't think there is the least chance of their coming, Surajai said carelessly. When they had gone some distance without overtaking us on the road, they may possibly have suspected that we had turned and made this way, but by the time they got back to the village they would know well enough that there is no chance of overtaking us. Dick made no answer. He had a sort of uneasy conviction that the officer would at once suspect their plan, and that pursuit would have commenced very shortly after they had repassed the fort. For some minutes no words were spoken, no sign of life was to be seen, but in so broken a country covered in many places with jungle or wood a considerable body of men might be coming up unperceived. Suddenly Dick grasped Surajah's arm. "'There they are. You see that I was right. Look at that clump of bush half a mile away, well to the left of the line we came by. They have just come out from there.' 
There are ten or twelve of them. I see them, Surajah said. They are running, too, but not very fast. We will crawl back till we are out of their sight, and then make a run for it. They must have got a guide, and are, no doubt, taking a more direct line than we are, for we may be a good bit off the stream we followed as we came along. I have not seen anything I recognize since it got light, though I am sure we have going somewhat near the right direction. Now we have got to run for it. They dashed off at a rate of speed much higher than that which they had before been traveling, keeping as much as possible in ground covered from the sight of their pursuers, and bearing somewhat to the left, so as to place the latter directly behind them, and to strike the path Dick had no doubt their pursuers were keeping. "'It's no use running too fast,' he said a few minutes later. "'There is a good long way to go yet, another ten miles, I should think. And anyhow, I don't think we can get down that steep place before they come to the edge of the cliff above.' You see, we are not certain as to where it is. We might strike the cliffs a mile or two on either side of it, and I have no doubt that they will go straight to the spot. I expect the man they got as a guide has been in the habit of going down the ghats, and knows his way. If it were not that we were in such a hurry to get to Uncle with the news about Tipu, it would be much better to turn off altogether and stay in a wood for a day or two. They would not stop very long at the top of the ghats, for they cannot be sure that we are going that way at all, and when a few hours passed and we didn't come, the officer would suppose that he was mistaken, and that we really kept on in the line on which we started. They trotted along for some time in silence, and then Storajar said, "'Do you not think that it would be better for us to make for the pass to the left? It's twenty miles off, but we should be there by evening, and we should surely find some way of getting into it, below where the fort stands.' Dick stopped running. "'Why not go the other way and make for the pass we know?' he said. "'It can't be more than fifteen miles at the outset.' and once below the fort we know our way, and should get down to the village twelve hours sooner than if we went round by the other pass. It would be the right plan if we could do it, Surajah agreed. But you know the rocks rise straight up on both sides of the fort, and the road passes up through a narrow cleft, with the fort standing at its mouth. That's why I proposed the other pass. I think we had better try it, nevertheless, Surajah. We should not be more than three hours in going straight there, and shall have ample time to follow the edge of the precipice for the last five miles, we may discover some break where we can get down. If we should find it impossible to descend anywhere, we must sleep till sunset, then strike the road above the fort, go down at night, and manage to slip past the sentry. The only thing is, Sahib, that it seems as if the fort lay right across the entrance to the gorge, and the road went through it. It did look like that, Surajah. Certainly the road went through a gateway, but there must be a break somewhere. We could see that in the wet season a lot of water comes down there, so there must be some sort of passage for it and if the passage is big enough for the storm-water to go through, it must be big enough for us. Surajah agreed, and they turned off from the line that they had before been following, no longer hurrying, but walking at a leisurely pace. They were not pressed for time. There was no chance whatever of pursuit, and as they had been going for some six hours at the top of their speed, they were both feeling very exhausted. After proceeding for two miles, they came upon a small stream. Here they sat down, lighted a fire, mixed some flour and water, for although the ghee had been taken from them when they were disarmed, they had been allowed to retain their supply of flour for their sustenance in prison, and made some small cakes. These they cooked in the glowing embers. They could not be termed a success, for the outside was burnt black, while the center was a pasty mass. However, they sufficed to satisfy their hunger, and after an hour's rest they again went forward. It was not very long before they stood on the edge of the rock wall. They followed this along, but could nowhere find a spot where a descent seemed at all possible. After walking for an hour they saw a road winding up a long valley below them, 
"'That's our road,' Dick exclaimed. "'That clump of houses, Surajah, must be the one where we generally turned. I know that from below these rocks looked as steep as walls, so there's no chance of our finding a way down anywhere between this and the fort.' Surajah nodded. To him also the ascent of the ghats had seemed impracticable. "'It's no use following this line any more,' Dick went on. "'We may as well strike across until we come unto the edge of the pass, somewhere above the fort, and find a place where we can descend easily, and then lie down and sleep till it's time to make our attempt.' In another hour they were looking down on the road a mile or so above the fort. The slopes here were gradual, and could be descended without the least difficulty, even in the dark. "'There, do you see, Surajah? The watercourse runs along by the side of the road. There's a little water in it now. You know, we used to meet with it down below and water our horses at a pool close to that ruined village. When we start, we can follow the road until we get close to the fort, and then crawl along in the watercourse and take our chances. If we should find it so blocked up that we can't get through, we must then see how we can get past the place in some other way. If the gate is only barred, no doubt we should be able to overpower the sentry and get the gate open before any alarm is given. If it's locked, we must do the best we can. We may calculate upon taking the sentry by surprise, as we did in the prison, and on silencing him at once. Then we should have time to break up some cartridges and pour the powder into the keyhole, which is sure to be a big one, and make a slow match and blow the lock open. We could make the slow match before we start, if we had some water. Shall I go down to the stream and get some? You have nothing to carry it up in, Surajah and besides, someone might come along the valley. We shall only want a little water. I will take off my sash and dip it in the stream. That will give us plenty when it's wrung out. At any rate, Surajah, we will do nothing until it's getting dusk. See, there are some peasants with three bullocks coming down the valley, and there are four armed horsemen riding behind them. We will go back to those bushes a hundred yards behind us, and sleep there until sunset. Then we will make our way down to that heap of boulders close to the stream, manufacture our slow match, and hide up there until it's time to start. We want a rest badly. We did not sleep last night, and if we get through, we must push on tonight without a stop. So we must have a good sleep now. The sun was low when they woke. They watched it dip below the hills, and then, after waiting until it began to get dusk, started for the valley. No one was to be seen on the road, and they ran rapidly down the slope until they reached the heap of boulders. Surajah tore off a strip of cotton six inches long by an inch wide, from the bottom of his dress, and then went forward to the stream and wetted it. When he came back, they squeezed the moisture from it, broke up a cartridge, rubbed the powder into the cotton, and then rolled it up longwise. That will be dry enough by the time we want to start. I hope we shan't have to use it, but if there is no other way, we must do so. They remained where they were until they thought that the garrison of the fort would be, for the most part, asleep. Then they crossed the stream and walked along by the side of the road, taking care not to show themselves upon it, as their figures would be seen for a long distance on its white, dusty surface. Presently the sides of the valley approached more closely to each other, and just where they narrowed they could make out a number of dark objects, which were, they doubted not, the houses occupied by the garrison. They at once took to the bed of the stream, stooping low as they went, so that their bodies would be indistinguishable among the rocks. They could hear the murmur of voices as they passed through the village. Once beyond it they entered the gorge. Here there was but room enough for the road and the stream, whose bed was several feet below the causeway. A few hundred yards farther the gorge widened out a bit, and in the moonlight they could see the wall of the fort stretching before them, and a square building standing close to it. "'That is a guard-house, no doubt,' Dick said in low tones. "'It's too close to be pleasant, and uh, if we have to attack the sentry.' Very carefully they picked their way among the rocks, until close to the wall. Then Dick gave a low exclamation of disappointment. 
The stream ran through a culvert some twelve feet wide and ten feet high, but this was closed by iron bars, crossing each other at intervals of only five or six inches, the lower ends of the perpendicular bars being fixed in a stone dam extending across the bed of the stream. Dick waded across the pool formed by the dam and felt the bars, but found them particularly solid and strong. "'That's no good, Surajah,' he said when he returned. "'There is no getting through there. There is nothing for it but the gate, unless we can find the steps up to the top of the wall and get up unnoticed. Then we might tear up our sashes longwise, knot them together, and slip down. The first thing to do is to have a look round. I'll get up close to the wall. It's in shadow there.' Entering the pool again, he climbed up the steep bank, which was here faced with stones. He stopped when his eyes were above the level and looked round. There was the gate, twelve feet away, and, to his delight, no sentry was to be seen. He was about to whisper Surajah to join him, when he heard voices. They came from above, and he at once understood that, instead of a man being posted behind the gate, two were on guard on the wall above it. He beckoned to Surajah to join him, and when he did so whispered what he had discovered. "'If the gate is only barred, we're all right now, Surajah.' except that we shall have to run the risk of being shot by those fellows on the wall. We shall be a pretty easy mark on that white road by moonlight. Our only plan will be to keep close to the wall. When we are through the gate, get down into the bed of the stream again, and then crawl along among the rocks. The bottom will be in shadow, and we may get off without being noticed. The only fear is that we shall make a noise in opening the gate. Now, let's try it. Keeping close to the wall, they crept to the gateway. This projected two feet beyond the gate itself, and standing against the latter they could not be seen, even in the unlikely event of one of the sentries looking down. The only risk was of anyone in the guardhouse coming out. This, however, could not be avoided, and they at once began to examine the fastenings of the gate, which consisted of two massive bars of wood running across it. These, by their united strength, they removed one after another. But when they tried it, they found the gate still immovable. "'Ah, oh, the beastly thing is locked,' Dick said. "'There's nothing to do but to blow it open.' He broke off the ends of three cartridges, poured the powder in at the keyhole, and then inserted the slow match. "'Stand in the corner there, Sotajah. I'll go down to the stream again, to light the tinder. The noise is less likely to be heard there.' He stole back again, sat down at the edge of the water, placed his tinder-box in his lap, took his turban off, and put it over his hands, so as to deaden the sound, and then struck the steel sharply against the flint. The first blow was successful. The spark fell on the tinder, and at once began to extend. He listened intently. The men on the walls were still talking, and the sound had evidently not reached their ears. End of chapter 6. Recording by Mike Harris.